1, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. We're going to continue a series we started last week on this letter, this epistle to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, last week we really uh, took you on a little bit of a tour. We showed you a map of uh, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey and uh, when this was written and uh, gave you some background information. Uh, tonight I just want to preach a simple message entitled, We Give Thanks for You. It's interesting, again, we have to remember that the Word of God is inspired by God. And so God uh, communicated His Word to this church through the Apostle Paul. And so when we think about that, to me, that encourages me. It's not just the Apostle Paul that's excited about what God's doing in Thessalonica. It is God Himself. You remember, uh, last week we looked at the fact that He was there for, Paul was there, for three Sabbath days, about three weeks or so, left Timothy there, Paul left, and uh, he gets a report from Timothy while he's in Corinth concerning this church and how well this church is going, which is kind of what motivates him, obviously God led as well, uh, to write this epistle. Uh, if you go back, if you look at, we'll, we'll get to 1 Thessalonians 1 in a minute, if you go to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, let me remind us, concerning what he says with regards to the report in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 3, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Paul had a burden for people, and he had seen numbers saved here in Thessalonica and seen God do a work, but he wasn't there. And look at this, Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. You know, when uh, the gospel is preached, Satan tries to snatch the seed of the word of God. And Paul was burdened for this church and didn't want that, didn't want the word of God to have been in vain, wanted to see God do a work and was encouraged. But now, verse 6, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, so you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as, also, as we also to see you. And so, he was encouraged with the news from Timothy while he was in Corinth concerning what was happening in Thessalonica. And so he writes to this church, and I want to call our attention tonight to verse number 2 and verse number 3. I like that this message happens to be the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. This morning we looked at being thankful and praising God. Uh, tonight I want to just take a few minutes and looking at what he says is, hey, He's writing to this church, and he says this in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. We give thanks to God always for you. Church of Thessalonica, I'm thankful for you. And he says, hey, I pray for you, and I pray for you, and, and, and I like it, this word, you know, I, I like what he says, without ceasing, remembering without ceasing. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. You know, we have a tendency to remember uh, the, the bad things maybe that people do to us. You know, we have a tendency to rehearse that. I can't believe they said that. Can you believe they said that? And sometimes we're bothered by something. We might say, hey, can you believe they said that? What did they mean by that? Um, but this is positive. 
He's saying, hey, I, I, when I think of you, church of Thessalonica, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God. And it, and it motivated him. Things were going well in this church. So he didn't say, hey, because things are going well, I'm not praying for you anymore. <laughs> no, I'm praying for you always. And I remember you, you always. And uh, he was encouraged uh, by that. It wasn't once in a while, but on a regular basis. So let me say this. And there's three reasons he gives, and we're going to look at that in verse 3, uh, for his encouragement, why he gives thanks to God for them. Let me just say this. It is important for us, as God brings people into our lives, I think it's important to us to be thankful to God for them. And we have a tendency, again, to look at the negative, he said this or that. Um, we need to sometimes, I think it, it's important, even at Thanksgiving, to, to be thankful to God, but, but to take some time and thank God for the people that he's put in your life. And uh, again, sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until we don't have that anymore. And so I like the emphasis here, encouraging this church through being thankful. And uh, there are three thoughts for us tonight, and they find them in verse number three. Uh, I'm thankful for your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus. Now, I like that he's specific. Uh, sometimes, we're, as a matter of fact, I find that uh, us men are a little less detail-oriented than the women, right? And so if my wife said to me, hey, I'm thankful for you, I would say, great, oh, good, thank you for being thankful for me, right? But if I said to my wife, hey, I'm thankful for you, do you know what she would say? In what ways? What, what do you mean by that? Can you expound? Can you give me some more details, right? And uh, as men, you know, we're not, I guess, as detail-oriented. But the Apostle Paul doesn't just say, hey, I'm thankful for you. He gives them three reasons why he's thankful for them. And, of course, there's more to come. But when we look at verse 3, it's, it's really a packed verse with some good stuff. So let's have prayer. And let's look at this verse, and I trust the Lord will use it in our lives. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for the privilege to gather and sing hymns of praise to you and uh, for the music and uh, for the offertory there. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to have the word of God in our own language. And uh, Lord, thank you for a nice warm building that we can just gather around the word and, uh, and, and allow you to speak to us. And so, Lord, we recognize that this is your truth, and we need your spirit to empower truth and help us, Lord. And uh, I pray you'd be glorified in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Now, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter number two and uh, look at some familiar verses with us as we think concerning uh, what he's saying with the work of faith. Now, if you've been door to door with me, I'm sure Richard has heard this, what I'm about to say here uh, many times. Um, but I, I think it's important as we try to help people to see how works fit into salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, and you're there, and verse number 8, we know this, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. The word workmanship is a word that means we are his work 
or we are his creation. We know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or the idea of a new creation. When we think concerning what Paul is, is thankful for with this church, their work of faith, we know that we are not saved by works. Now, all of the other religious systems will teach that it's somehow works-based. You have to do the rosary, or you have to pray, and you got to face Mecca, and you got to do these, these works. And I have found in talking to people door-to-door, when you try to explain to them that it's by grace through faith and not of ourselves, it's not a work. Uh, it's not a work. By the way, some might try to argue that faith, exercising faith is a work. It's not a work. It's a choice of your will to choose to place our faith in what Jesus did. How do works fit in? And I've used this a number of times to help people understand how works fit in. 31 or so years ago, my wife and I got married. Was it 31? It'll be 32 in March. Good. I'm in good shape. I remember. All right. Now, um, when we got married, I did not give her a list of do's. I didn't say to her, if you'll do these 10 things, I like my uh, socks in the sock drawer, and I like my shirts ironed, and don't ever burn a meal. And you know, she did, I, I didn't give her a list. Uh, she didn't give me a list either. She didn't say to me, uh, you need to make X number of dollars, and I need to drive this kind of a car, and, and I need to be at this status. No, there was no lists given, right? When we got married, it was a faith, love, trust decision, right? I love you. You love me. I'm trusting my life to you. You're trusting your life to me, all right? It wasn't. And by the way, if we had had a list, it probably wouldn't have worked, right? Who wants that kind of a, of a setup? But we got married. We made a trust decision of faith, a decision of trust. Now, once we were married, guess what? The relationship that was created by faith produced some works. You know, there's some things that she does, the big list, big long list. Her list is probably bigger than my list. But there's a list of things that she does that did not create the relationship, but flowed from a relationship that was already in existence. The same, this direction, there's a list of things, and there's not really a list, it's just the givens, right? That I do that flow from a relationship that already is existing. When we take that same illustration and we recognize, I don't work my way to heaven. It's not by works, it's by grace through faith. Verse 10, we are his workmanship. When I am saved... What happens from that relationship that already is existing, from that flows works. I've noticed sometimes when you explain that to people at the door, it's like a light bulb turns on. It's a click. Oh, I get that. Because we, we live in a society, there's, you know, there's no free lunches. How can it? I remember when I first shared with uh, Sherry's dad when he was alive, gave him the gospel. And he said to me, is that all you have to do? I said, yes, that's all you have to do. It was difficult to get around that non-works or by grace through faith. And as this church here at Thessalonica, they received the word of God, they got saved, they allowed the word of God to change them. 
And from that change, they began to do works. They began to, their life uh, changed a little bit. And we see that if you go back to the text there in 1 Thessalonians 1, we see some of this, and we're not going to elaborate on it now. We will later. Uh, but we see uh, they became followers of us and of the Lord. Verse 6. Verse 7, they were in samples, or they became examples. What did they do? They allowed the word of God to work. They allowed God's grace to, uh, be, uh, to do its work in their life. In Acts chapter number 11, if you want to turn there, we'll work you a little bit tonight. In Acts chapter number 11, the word of God is being spread, and it gets up there to Antioch, and uh, the Bible says... By the way, persecutions what 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 spread the word. Verse 19 of Acts 11, they're scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Isn't it something God has to kind of get us out of our comfort zone? God sometimes has to allow persecution and difficulty and pain to get us to do what we know we're supposed to be doing, witnessing, be a witness. I listened to a message this week, and uh, the guy made this statement. This is a powerful statement. He said, you say you're following Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fishers of men. And he said this, if you're not a fisher of men, then you're not following Jesus. I thought, ouch. But I thought, true statement. And the persecution comes and, and the word of God, they get up there to Antioch, verse 20. Verse 22, then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which is in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. Hey, there's lots of things happening. Look, the hand of the Lord, verse 21, is with them. A great number are believing. People are turning to the Lord. Barnabas, go check this out. Barnabas checks this out. Verse 25, he comes back, and he wants to tell Saul. And uh, so verse 25, Barnabas to Sarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Paul, you got to see what's going on here. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Now, here's the phrase I want you to see. The Bible says, it's the first time here, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Question, why were the disciples called Christians first in Antioch? They were called Christians because why? Because their lives were changed by the word of God and they saw Christ in these believers and they called them, they gave them the name of Christ, Christians. The, the work of faith. Do you know when we take steps of faith, God works. God uses us to do his work. And sometimes we can have a little less emphasis on works. I don't work my way, by the way, into a right relationship with God either. You're not right with God today because you checked a box. You, you, you tell sometimes kids grow up in an independent fundamental Baptist church and they think, what I have to do to be right with God? You say, how do you know you're right with God? Well, I, uh, I did, right? I performed. Uh, I had my devotions. I, I, I prayed. I okay. Works don't save us, and works don't get us into God looking down and going, wow, that guy spent two hours in his word. He's, he's no, 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 no. We have a relationship with God. We walk with him, right? We, we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just, and, 
And, and, and so uh, sometimes we can get an emphasis or de-emphasize what we might call works. But faith without works is dead. We think about it. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Um, a, a good tree bringeth forth good fruit. A corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Does our work demonstrate our faith? As we go out into the community, as we go to work, as we Christmas shop, whatever, if somebody was to follow us around, Everywhere we went, would they see a work of faith? Would they see you are different? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine whose wife a substitute teaches in a public school and teaches little kids. And a little kid paid this lady, uh, to my estimation, a very high compliment. This little boy comes in and he says to the teacher, are you a Christian? And the teacher says, yes, I am. And the little boy said, I am too. He could tell she was a Christian. By what? By her life. Do you know what? Whether we eat or drink, whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. Do you know the glory of God comes before our comforts, our conveniences, our preferences. And often we make decisions based on those other things at the expense of the glory of God. We ought to be asking ourselves this question first. Lord, would this please you? Lord, would this be acceptable? I like it. I think it's nice. But would this be acceptable to you? The work of faith. Secondly, he says this. Your um, your labor and labor of love, verse 3, your labor of love. When we think about this aspect of love, love is so key to the Christian life. Really, genuine service starts with my love for God. Paul said this, the love of Christ constraineth me. People argue, is it Christ's love for him or his love for Christ? And I say, yes, it's both. It's his love, and it's both ways, right? He died for me. How can I not serve him? Mark chapter number 12 and verse 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I tell you this, I think our greatest challenge, I, I, I talked about it this morning, is really loving ourselves. When I love him first and foremost, love for others, and some of these other things are going to go by the wayside. We think about it, John 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. 
a non-hypocritical love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I tell you what bothers me. Do you know what bothers me? What bothers me is how sometimes Christians do people, whether it be Christians doing Christians or my wife and I were out to eat the other day and we met this gal and I was convinced that she wasn't saved. I don't know if she was saved or not, but she looked like maybe she was trying to be a him and uh, she had, you know, piercings, very friendly gal. She was just the uh, waitress at the table there and and uh, so I tried to give, give her a track, and she thanked me for the track, and I tried to engage her. And um, come to find out, she grew up a Baptist. And I thought, huh, so you grew up a Baptist. And I said, did you have kind of a bad experience? She didn't want to elaborate, but she basically said, yes. You know, I, I think we have the truth and we need to stand for what's true, but we need to speak the truth in love. It's sad that sometimes we have to, when we uh, need to hire somebody for business, we have to think, do I really want to hire a Christian? You know why that is? Because of how Christians sometimes do other Christians. It's not right. Uh, I, I love Baptist. I'm a Baptist by conviction. I'm an independent, fundamental Baptist. But I tell you this, I need to be a loving, independent, fundamental Baptist. And there's a generation of young people that are growing up that are going to take the torch when we're gone. And if they don't see the love of Christ, they're going to jettison independent Baptists. And they're going to go down the street somewhere else where someone else uh, gives them love. You know, on a regular basis, interactions with, not, not you folks here, but just interactions out there sometimes, I scratch my head and I think, we, we've got to communicate. Hey, even when we deal with sin in people's lives, we need to deal with a tear in our eye. We need to recognize that, hey, you're somebody because God loves you. My mom used to say this, God don't make any junk. <laughs> And every one of us has challenges, and every one of us has burdens. I remember listening to Don Camp preach. Don Camp had um, a sickness. I can't remember. It slips me. Um, I think it's the kind where you shake. What is that? Parkinson's. And he would take medicine, and uh, I would watch him he, when he came to, to speak. They'd sit him there. They'd try to time his medicine perfect. And when his medicine kicked in, if he was ready, all right, Come on up here and preach. And he had about 20 minutes. He would come up, and he would, he would hold the pulpit right here. And uh, he, would, he would, I'll tell you this, in 20 minutes, he would, he would hit both blows. You'd be knocked out spiritually. I mean, you just felt like, whoa. And then they would kind of help to carry him down. And he was, he was an evangelist. And I remember him sitting up there. I remember this. He said this. He said, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone has problems. Have you ever um, been at a red light and you happen to you know look at your phone or whatever, and the light turns green, and you're like, you know, you had one of those moments. You know, Wednesday night, a couple people had one of those days, and someone behind you honks the horn, and you're like, my bad, 
made a mistake, and you want people to be sympathetic, and then you're the guy that has to get somewhere, and the light turns green, and we forget the guy in the car in front of us. <laughs> Maybe he's having one of those days, one of those moments, and our temptation is to hunk the horn, you know, in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> we hunk the horn in the name of Jesus. Uh, love, love. The word labor, by the way, is different than the word work. The word work really means a deed or, or, or getting the job done. The word labor is the effort expended in accomplishing the deed. So our, our kitchen, you know, we had a flood a couple, three, four months ago, and it's all finished now, praise the Lord. And you might come in and you say, and the Lord worked it out. We got a better floor than we had, and, and it's really, you know, it came out on the plus. So we're happy. It's easy to say I'm happy for the flood. Now, when I was standing there at 1 a.m. on a Sunday morning and it's coming down, I'm, I wasn't as happy as I am today. But if you came over there today, you would see the work. You would say, wow, this looks nice. The job was done. They did a good job. The labor you didn't see. The labor would be that effort put into the work. And it's interesting where we have the labor of love. Love takes work. Agape love is giving of oneself without expecting anything in return. John 3, 16, we know it. For God so loved that he... If I so love, what's going to be the result? I'm going to give. I'm going to give up my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever. Love is giving. And this church at Thessalonica demonstrated love for one another, but they demonstrated a love for the lost. And I tell you this, when you've got a generation of young people where the older generation is beating them up, why are you doing that, and why are you doing that, and doing that, and they don't see the love of Christ, what they need to see is Christ. Christ is going to make the difference. And very easily, we can turn people off to the gospel. Um, Abraham Lincoln had this philosophy when it comes to love. Do not keep the alabaster box of your kindness and tenderness sealed up until your friends are dead. Me and him kind of, we, we kind of see things the same here on that one. Fill their lives with sweetness. Speak approving, cheering words while their hearts can be thrilled and made happier. The kind of things you mean to say when they are dead and gone, say before they are gone. The flowers you mean to send for their coffins, send now to brighten and sweeten their homes before they leave them. If my friends have any alabaster boxes laid away full of fragrant perfumes of sympathy, goodwill, and affection, which they intend to break over my dead body, I would prefer they bring them out in my weary and troubled hours and open them that I may be refreshed, cheered, and made better while I need them. I would rather have a plain coffin without a flower, a funeral without a eulogy, than a life without the sweetness of love and goodwill. Let us learn to anoint our friends beforehand for their burials. Um, Port's mortem kindness does not cheer the burdened spirit, 
Flowers on the coffin cast no fragrance back over the weary way. Remember, we travel the road of life but once. Let us all try to make the world better by our having lived, and I would add our having loved, their labor of love. Number three, he says, I'm thankful for your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The word patience is a word that means steadfastness. It means endurance, being able to endure. It means this. It means staying under pressure. We know that the word hope is not a how we define hope, right? We say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope I can go to Shady Maple. You know, I hope, right? I hope. Um, Bible hope is a definite certainty. It's going to happen. It's, 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 I know it will happen. Their hope, again, this church that's a, a baby church, right? Their hope was in the anticipation of seeing Jesus and his future glory and receiving their inheritance. The implication is this, that this church, in the face of opposition, steadfast, right, staying under pressure, in the face of opposition, they were willing to stay under pressure because of this hope. One commentator said it this way, hope transcends mere human wishful anticipation and rests confidently in the consummation of redemption that scripture says will certainly occur when Christ returns. Such hope will inevitably cause believers to triumph over the struggles of life. Wow. They're being motivated to stay under pressure. How many are you under pressure? Under pressure, right? On all kinds of different things, right? Financial pressure and health needs and people pressure. And hey, you stayed, church of Thessalonica, under pressure. Because why? Because of the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, the grace of God, Titus 2, that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Here we are in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. My hope is in the Lord, the songwriter said, who gave himself for me. Sometimes pressure times. Sometimes, again, this, this, this church was in a thriving city. There was a lot of pressure for individuals in this church to conform to the world. But they, stead, they stayed steadfast. Their eyes were on the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. They were living with eternity's values in View. Blessed be, Peter said, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 3, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. And then he says, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, we might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. 
when my Jesus I shall see. What will be a day we'll look on his face, the one who saved us by his grace. We think about that. It's a definite certainty. And it's what kept this church at Thessalonica faithful under pressure to conform. At the height of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison for taking a stand against Hitler. Yet he continued to urge fellow believers to resist Nazi tyranny. A group of Christians, believing that Hitler was the Antichrist, asked him, why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Basically, quit, give up, right? Jesus will return any day, and all your work and suffering will be for nothing. He replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today I have work to do. I must continue until it's finished. We need to continue to stay faithful, to keep giving the word, to keep preaching, to keep, to keep trying to help people. One day, it'll be over, and we'll be in heaven with him. No wonder Paul said to this church, I'm thankful for you, and I always have you in my prayers. As we think about this, number one, let's be thankful for the individuals that God puts in our lives. Let's be thankful for them. But number two, let's think concerning our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of hope in the Lord Jesus.